everyone. This is Ashley from the Mito Podcast. Today, our guest is my sister, Jamila. She works for the San Diego Community College District in the Workability Program. Um, she and her team work very hard in the Community College District to um, provide services for people with disabilities on a very wide spectrum. So if you listen into our podcast, we talk a little bit about the services that you can get, technology that is used, um, and a couple of other little tidbits in there. And obviously, we always have our little bit of blooper in the middle. So if you are interested in this, um, please give this podcast a listen. I think it's great for all ages for any disabilities. Thank you for listening. Hi, you're listening to the Mayo Podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Megan. And today we have my sister, Jamila Bernaldi Carly. Um, so obviously, I mean, if you've heard our podcast before, you know what my sister's tie is to Mido. Um, it's for my, or my niece, <laughs> my, her niece, <laughs> Angelina. Um, but I really wanted to have her on because of what she does for a living. Sis, do you want to kind of try to explain your background and a little bit about what you do? Sure. Of course. It, it always seems like the ones that are closest to you don't really have a full scope or a sense of what you actually do at work. So um, maybe this will be good um, for, you know, your understanding and, and also maybe just for some folks out there that, um, you know, might have some curiosities about um, the supports and resources that are available to um, adults uh, entering or uh, individuals ad- entering adulthood um, navigating a disability. So. Um, I have worked in the field of a disability in education. Um, my background is in vocational rehabilitation. So there's a whole field dedicated to helping individuals with disabilities to transition to the workforce, either for the first time or after, um, you know, they might've um, incurred an injury or um, became disabled later in life and are looking to re-enter the workforce. So there's a whole wonderful field out there um, that I've been able to uh, work in for over the, you know, over over 20 years now. So um, I have worked with the disability support programs and services departments um, within uh, the San Diego Community College District. And so half of the time is spent doing, has been spent um, doing disability management and support counseling. And the other half has basically been um, managing a program called Workability 3, which provides employment uh, preparation and job placement services to college students with disabilities. And it's, it's, a, it's a real sweet spot of a job. It's so cool because we get to, um, we get to help people be successful um, as they're either like in college or, or exiting college and like kind of working on what is the what's the next step? How do I get there? What do I, you know, um, what can I do, especially when I'm um, managing my disability on top of everything else? And so um, my, the team that I manage um, works individually with a, a wide array of individuals with disabilities. And um, we assist them with obtaining internships, part-time work, full-time work. Um, where we're really specialized is we help uh, individuals um, kind of think through and strategize, you know, um, 
knowing and understanding what it is their, their needs are and what, what accommodations to request, what kind of conversations to have with employers, how to deal with disclosure, how to um, ask for what they need. And so we can really um, provide, um, you know, really specialized, unique counseling services based on what each person needs. So is that a good overview? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. And I wanted to point out that everything that we're talking about today primarily has to do with San Diego County. But if you are interested in resources like these, um, you should definitely reach out to your um, community college district um, or uh, whatever it is that's in your area um, to see if they have um, something that works similar, which they most likely do. And sometimes these things are really hard to find. And that's why another reason why I wanted to have you on is because we like to uncover all those like hidden things that families don't know about because you don't, you don't know what you don't know. I think that's the thing that we always say on this podcast. <laughs> you don't know what you don't know until you hear about it. Um, so, and also I know a lot of, so Mito affects all ranges. It's all ages. There's not a, a child or an adult, like it's, it's across the board. Um, so that's another reason why, because you're in that position of, of transitioning from childhood to adulthood. And I've talked to, I mean, we've had a couple of people on here on the podcast that are old enough to have a job. They are technically an adult, but they don't necessarily know how or are able to kind of adventure themselves into that world. So I think that that's why it's so great to have a you um, to help them. <laughs> um, but let's talk a little bit more about like the types of disabilities. Like, is there, could you give me a, a range of just a few examples? Um, maybe from like uh, worst case, I don't know if that's the correct terminology to um, the lightest case. Does that make sense? I, I would say maybe like from from least least to most severe, maybe. Yeah, that's um, way better. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it it really is. Um, you know, how many times have you said it really depends on the person, right? Or it depends on the situation, but. Um, so in the California community college system, um, so we have, there are services that exist um, that are mandated in order to help support, you know, individuals that um, provide documentation and, you know, uh, of their condition or their disabling, their, their condition or their disability. And um, there are disability categories. Um, and so that can range from, um, you know, um, mobility, a mobility disability or physical disability to um, ADHD has its own category, um, vision, deaf and hard of hearing. So they're all kind of, you know, there's different categories. Now there's this other category called the other category, just other. Um, and so I'm thinking that something like Mito might fit into it, like, you know, this kind of um, like, chronic condition or whatnot um, under this other category, which is like, just like all other things that cannot, you know, be specifically identified because it's either obscure or more rare or, um, sorry, um, 
one thing I'm learning about coming back to the office is that I have multiple phones and multiple. So like I got, got text over here, got my phone blinking over here. <laughs> I've got um, Teams is giving me some message. Um, I actually shut down my email so that I wouldn't get any emails coming up, but it is distracting. Um, so I was talking about disability categories and what was your reminding me of your lead in question to this? Cause yeah, I, was, no, I was asking like a uh, least, well, you said it is so much better than I did. <laughs> oh, so yeah. So, you know, it just depends on needs and it depends on like the, the level of support that someone needs. So like the most um, common, I guess, if you will, or the largest disability category or group is mental health, mental illness, folks with, um, you know, um, anxiety or depression or bipolar disorder, schizophrenia. Um, so if you just, if you peek into that category, you know, it, it just really depends on like how, how well someone may be doing or the level of support that they might need really um, is contingent upon like how well they're, they're managing their disability and how well they're functioning. And so it could be um, something that's fairly easily accommodated. Like, you know, I have test anxiety. I get really um, nervous when I take tests and I forget what I want to, you know, I forget the information. And so, um, you know, uh, and it, a common accommodation might be extended time for a test that's timed in a private room or a semi-private room that's like quiet where they're out of the classroom. And so, um, you know, allowing them to, um, you know, concentrate better and have more time to account for what's, you know, challenging for them. Um, there could be individuals that have disabilities that are so, um, uh, now I'm, I'm struggling to think of the word, but um, that are, that are significant, that are severe, that they might, they might need a personal care attendant to come with them to school. Um, so where disability services kind of they sort of have a line with like what they can provide and it's in the academic um, educational environment and they um, can authorize like an individual to come um, like a nurse or nursing assistant or a personal aide to come with the person um, to the classroom and basically just giving them access and permission to to have that person but but they do not provide um, anything um, that's hands-on that's considered like, you know, medical, they might provide like a note taker or the technology to record um, and take notes in class. But in terms of like, um, you know, someone that might be uh, a wheelchair user, maybe um, limited mobility, um, you know, quadriplegic or might be on a vent or, you know, need, need some significant care. Um, that's something that they can have access to, but they're really, um, kind of left to their own resources to be able to provide that. So I guess, you know, it might be someone who just needs a little extra time for tests versus mm -hmm. someone who needs assistance to get out their books and to take notes and to turn pages and to, you know, while they're on campus, uh, be supported with, um, you know, uh, any, any medical, call it medical, but it's just really life needs, right? It's just what we need to, to do to be able to live our lives. So I, I've seen some students that have um, had really challenging disabilities um, uh, be very successful. And uh, the, you know, the whole goal, <laughs> the whole mission of, you know, disability services is to remove barriers and to provide, uh, you know, equitable access to, um, to their education. 
is that always provided and always the case? Of course, you know, of course, everybody, we, you know, we try. I think San Diego is pretty phenomenal uh, in terms of like the community resources that it offers in the community colleges in the area. I have to say this, of course, as I'm like sitting in the building of the San Diego <laughs> College District. But um, no, I work with some pretty amazing, um, dedicated uh, individuals. And there are so many things that are, you know, understated or kept um, hidden that you wouldn't know about. There's like, there's a lot of great things that we provide. Um, but you, you're mentioning that too. It's like, you don't know what you don't know until you start digging and asking questions and that's like oh how did I not know this was a, a thing or a service or yeah, uh, yeah so I, oh I'm just gonna say that I think too like you said if you don't know I know right now Troy is in eighth grade and he's going to be transitioning to high school so each time there's this transition that's even closer to adulthood it's it's kind of a scary thing um I mean, we don't really know what the programs are going to be like in high school. And even when you think about, you know, going into adulthood, we think about all these different things with our, you know, medically fragile children or, you know, just disabled children in general. We have IEPs now, which are in the school districts that allow them to get all the services and the different things. And, you know, when you think about high school or you think about college and things like that, it's not really known what the services really are. Um, and so I know obviously there's people like you, which I'm thankful for that, you know, we can check into and figure it out, but it's definitely a scary thing for parents when you continue to plan for the future for your child and you're just not really sure. So do they, I don't even know, do they do things like IEPs in college? Do they carry stuff like that through? I mean, it's an individualized education plan, but I don't know, you know, if those hold up or if, like you said, you know, you can have certain people do different things for you, but do those transfer over? <laughs> That's a wonderful question. And it's, um, it really kind of um, highlights the, the lack of information and the, 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 um, the lack of communication that, that, that happens or that doesn't happen with um, K through 12 and the, the college system, because we find that um, there are so many changes and there's so many um, just it's a completely different way of um, getting what you need. Um, so I'll, I'll, it's a great question, actually. I'm happy to cover that. So the you mentioned the I, IEP or the individualized. Um, oh no, plan. individual educate. Oh wait, I'm I'm okay. Here's here's one one thing. We always um, when I work with Department of Rehab and we develop they develop IPEs. Oh, okay. And so you have to do this mental check of like, okay, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about IEP. So, so individualized education plan. Is that what it is? Yeah. I'm not, I, can you, yeah, that's so funny. Um, well, so the, the IEP is, you know, the document, the, that identifies, you know, the, the plan and the services and, and, and every, it, it, it is an agreement with the school and the family, you know, um, for, what services their, their child will get. So when they either graduate high school or they disconnect, um, if they haven't graduated, um, they um, are still covered under the same laws up until the age of um, 22, um, at which point, um, you know, service or provision of um, and access to, to services and resources um, with the school systems, you know, it, it changes um, to 
um, Section 504 of the Rehab Act and the Americans with Disabilities Act. And so um, the IEP um, is a document that, that, you know, an individual can take. And I do mean the individual, um, you know, they can voluntarily sign up for services. Can't tell you how many ticked off moms and dads have, you know, been, been turned away from the offices because they're the they're used to advocating for services for their child, right? So then they go to college and they're like, oh yes, I'd like to make an appointment with, no, no, your son or your daughter has to make the appointment. And of course they can assist, but they, they that person has to, the, the, the student has to voluntarily um, a- apply for services. So um, that document sh- is, is absolutely fine. Um, and it's, it's something that's, you know, very recognized and accessible. Um, acceptable. If they are encountering a condition that has changed or um, have a new diagnosis that is not reflected on that document, and what they need is really tied to that newer diagnosis, then they would be encouraged to provide, um, you know, doctors, uh, a doctor's report and assessment, uh, you know, anything from a practitioner that they're working with that really outlines like the functional limitations and, um, you know, what the, what the needs are in the academic environment. So, um, but yeah, as it can totally work. It's just, um, yeah, it's a voluntary the individual has to apply for services. Um, they have to sign a release for parents to be a point of contact or be involved. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's just a very different world, um, because no one is going to be calling them and reminding them or you know, making sure that they, they did all the things they need to do. It's all on the student, <clears throat> which is such a, a, a role reversal in terms of like they, they've been shepherded along and kind of, you know, told where to show up and who their resource provider is or which you know, classroom they're going to get this, you know, support or service. And they don't really get the practice of self-advocacy. And so when they go to college, you know, the parents are used to serving in that role and they're told, you know, it's almost kind of like a slap in the face, like, you know, you're not, you're not needed anymore, or that's not your role anymore. And it's so hard on the, on the parents. But um, I love when families are involved, um, because I think you really need to, to work as a team together, especially if you're dealing with, you know, a more um, severe disability. Um, it, it's going to take a village, it's going to take a team approach. And so um, I really highly encourage parents to continue to be involved, but also um, try to um, encourage and engage their their child in a way that they can be more independent because that's that's the ultimate goal. So. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Um, so I obviously didn't get to have a, a lot of experience with IEPs because Angie was so young, but is there a so I know you, you can bring your IEP with you if you're making your own appointment, but is there a college level IEP like assessment? Is that, is that a valid question? <laughs> that's a really, no, it's a very good question. And actually that's, that's a big difference too, because the onus is on, you know, the responsibility is on the K through 12 to K through 12 system to do a majority of the assessments with the exception of some, um, higher level, um, evaluations. Like I think like, um, uh, autism might be one that they encourage, um, like a psychiatrist, like a professional psychiatrist outside the school to assess. But, um, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but, um, the community college 
does not provide the nearly the extent of, of services uh, for purpose of like evaluation. Um, they may have um, uh, access to um, evaluate evaluation of uh, learning disabilities. So dys dyslexia, dyscalculia, um, auditory processing disorder. Um, so it, and it is um, the community college learning disability model that was developed um, with the, at the state chancellor's office for community colleges. And so this, that is something that um, not every college provides. So it's, it's a little bit difficult to, to, to answer. Um, I will say that there are several colleges in our region um, that do offer um, the, the testing, which I think is um, two different batteries of um, um, intelligence quotients and um, performance tests. And so, um, and what that can determine is if somebody, you know, qualifies per that model, the community college model, uh, to be considered to have a learning disability. So I would say um, for folks that, um, this is an effective tool for someone that may have not been diagnosed um, at a young age and may, may have struggled in school. Um, uh, maybe like, you know, typical learning disability um, experience might be like, I read the same thing like three times and I, I, I just doesn't stick. And I study just as hard. I studied three, four times as hard as my counterparts. And I get like a C, I work my butt off to get a C on a test and everyone else gets like, you know, an A. Um, they feel like they've been um, told that they were um, dumb or lazy or all these negative things. And um, then when they get this, you know, diagnosis and it's like, typically I'm seeing, you know, college students and in, in their twenties and thirties, even, even later sometimes in life, if they go back um, for educational purposes later um and they get this diagnosis and they're like oh it makes so much sense like it's so validating like I've been struggling this whole time um but that is um yeah one of the the valuable resources that could be provided in the in the college setting but I would say pretty much if you're coming in with a diagnosis already you bring that in and you know you get what you need and, and there's pretty much a kind of a I don't know drop down menu of like these are the the types of accommodations we um, can authorize for you to use in college. And, um, but yeah, we do have some, I think, different types of situations where, um, you know, more creative kind of customized um, um, approaches is, is needed. So it really just depends on the individual. I know that um, like when I talked about Troy going to high school, eventually uh, we will be having a transition meeting, which will be with the um, other special education department from the high school and um, Troy's teacher and myself uh, to give us an idea of the programs and things that they offer. Do the community colleges do that with um, the high schools, for instance? Is there like an open house for, you know, the disability programs that are available at the community college or do they actually go to the, the high schools and the area and inform them about it, that information? That's another great, these are great questions. Um, yeah, uh, there, it depends on the district and it depends on the, the colleges and it depends on how rampant COVID is, I guess, because <laughs> it's really changed um, over the past couple of years. But um, there are 
um, tours that uh, the high schools can request of um, the college uh, outreach department slash DSPS or Disability Support Programs and Services Department. And it's really meant to be kind of a, you know, specialized um, uh, approach to reaching out to students and letting them know, um, in addition to navigating this completely new college environment, it's like, here's all the other stuff you got to do too, you know, but it, it almost, it's almost laughable that it's gonna like one night, like, and it's usually called transition night. Like that's what it's called. And it's either like, um, they would do, oh my gosh, I used to do so many of these and they'd put, they, they get like a big gym or a big, like, you know, um, building at one of the school sites and they'd cram all of us in there and we'd each have a table and parents and their kids are walking around. They're like, you know, what do you offer? What do you have? What do you have going on? And it was like, we gave out so much information and these parents, <laughs> their kids are like, they, they don't care. They're walking around, they don't, you know, they're just like, you know, try to, it's social for them. Mm-hmm. Their parents are like, give me all your flyers. I want to know what, you know, what, what, cause they're scared, especially mm-hmm. if it's like getting up to senior year and they're like, I don't know what's next for my kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they try to cram it all into one big transition night, which is just, it, it's overwhelming for everybody. Um, but there are um, outreach tours and campus tours that can be arranged um, like per the school. So if that was something that, um, you know, that's something that parents could be asking about. And, and it could be for Mesa College, for City College, for Miramar, for Cuyamaca, for Grossmont, and each college is gonna be a little bit different and approach that a little bit differently. But um, I don't think it's enough. Like I really don't feel, and I feel like our departments do do a lot and they're really, they're, <laughs> they're busy, they're overwhelmed, but um, we should have a, a better approach uh, for transition students because I feel like that first semester, that first year, um, it is, uh, it's, it's challenging. And like a lot of times the students, they, they won't self-advocate and they won't ask for what they need. So then they're, you know, they're bottoming out, they're getting F's in their first semester and we're not setting them up for success. So um, there are um, regional um, partnership meetings that occur um, in San Diego and in East County. And I'm, I'm forgetting the name, but it's basically like, you know, K through 12 professionals, the Department of Rehabilitation, the Department of um, uh, Developmental Services, I think, um, Regional Center, and then programs like um, mine or other work-based programs um, come and, and discuss like what's going on regionally and what kind of efforts are taking place to um, onboard the students or prepare the students, if you will. Um, I just don't think it's ever been I'm not critical of any any one particular institution, but it's just, you know, it's it's obvious that there there's work to be done in that area. Um, I have a question that might be kind of hard to answer, but since you've been in this position for so long, um, 20 years is a big span of time of like being in a program, which is amazing, but and I know that there's been a lot of changes uh, based on um, services and things like that, but based on um, the need for it, has that changed drastically in the last 20 years? So I don't know, does that, do you understand my question? Yeah, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think of how to respond to it. And so 
it, um, a lot of things have stayed the same. I think a lot of what has changed is, um, well, think of two things. One is like the technology. So adaptive assistive technology obviously has, has changed a lot in the last even five years, but um, that has been revolutionary. I think for people with vision, um, learning, processing um, challenges, I think that they're, I mean, it's like, you can't ever really fix something that doesn't, you know, it's like, you know, but, but if you could get a thing and if you could objectify like how to fix something or how to accommodate someone like, you know, in an object or a software or something like that's where we've had a really um, great impact. Um, I'm I actually started in assistive technology back in, I don't know, was it San Diego state? And it was like 1997, 96 or something. And it was like, you know, I'm learning these and I, I was not a computer person and I was like, email, what's this email thing? Like that was when like email was becoming commonplace and it's so, gosh, I sound so old, so funny. Um, but yeah, the technology, I mean, we basically, you know, we have so many amazing things at our fingertips that we can give to our students um, or that can be purchased, um, you know, by families or by Department of Rehabilitation or um, with community grants and such. But um, the technology has changed. I think Another big thing, another big shift that has changed is the, the focus is shifting away from the medical model of disability and um, really um, kind of getting away from like the person's um, like diagnosis or they, they are being, there is this thing that is fundamentally, you know, wrong or challenged or that, it, that is, um, that is the focus of the person, right? And we're really kind of shifting away from that into like a, a disability as part of uh, someone's identity. Um, and um, they are a person first. So it's not like, you know, uh, the, it, and a lot of that is like how we regard people in, in our language, right? So, you know, uh, even like the, the, the title of our departments have shifted, like, you know, disabled, student services and it's like you know we were kind of taught that that's how you refer to people but it's like oh that's that's disability first that's like they're they're disabled so instead of that like making a shift to you know disability support or you know in person with a disability um i don't know there's a whole bunch of different schools of thought on that because like some people from the disability community will will proudly say like i am autistic and, you know, some person first language folks be like, oh, you're supposed to say person with autism, like their dis disability does not define them. But um, it really, it really opens up um, room for conversation to be conversations to be had with the person and like, how are they comfortable identifying? Because there's going to be some folks that will never walk through the door because it says disability or disabled. And they're like, that's not me. Mm -hmm. But when you have a conversation with them and like, you know, yeah, I, I get that that's not part of like, you know, how you feel who you are, it doesn't define you, but um, you, you do, you could say that you do have a barrier, you do have needs. And so it's all about like, getting access, right? Um, to it's also just being with who you're, who, who's around you growing up to, like, having exactly what you're saying, having that focus in the way that it is being spoken to, where you might be 
embarrassed to try and get help or get those needs because of, of the stigmatism that you grew up in. And I can see that definitely with maybe like an older generation, um, having that hard time of, of doing that. It's painful. Kids are mean in high school, like, and I feel for Troy, like going, cause like I cringe when I think about high school and I'm like this fully able-bodied, like, you know, I didn't, I, I got to participate in all the things and I, you know, um, yeah, I was kind of shy, but it wasn't like, it was hard. It's hard for on all of us. So you think about like, you know, somebody with additional, like, you know, stigmas and just like the, the fact that kids can be so mean and they are, are also othered, like they are kept away. And I don't know if like Troy is mainstreamed or if he, you know, has a completely separate learning environment, but like I was listening to another podcast, um, I can't recall who it was, but they were talking about, oh, I know who it was. It was Judy Human. Um, she's the civil rights advocate and, and activist. And she was talking about how like she hates the term special education. Like it just needs to be education and it needs to be inclusive so the fact that like you know kids see other kids with differences right and and then they get out out into college in the community and it's not such a um othering aspect like it's not like them and us um and so yeah I don't know I'm kind of going off on a tangent but it's like um Reel me back in here, Ashley. I kind of got. I well, got I think away. that's actually a super important tangent because yeah. that is such a big thing. Um, Troy is actually, he's um, on a home hospital program just because we don't want him exposed to illnesses. Um, but just in general, it is such a separate thing. Special education, kids in special ed, it is seen as such a separate thing. And I think you know, disabled, if you want to say that people with disabilities in general, like you said, it's not, they're not out and about everywhere. People aren't exposed to relationships with people that have a disability as often. And I know even when Troy was younger, I had a woman come up to me and she was super sweet and she was being very nice and positive, but she was like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing that you take him out everywhere and you do these things with him. And you know, I was very nice and said, well, of course, you know, he's my son and he wants to experience everything else as well. And it's just such an interesting thing that, you know, it, I feel like in education, you know, there is the mainstreaming, but you have to fight for that. And your child usually has to fit a certain um, type of situation to be allowed into the class or have certain, you know, specific things that they can do. And so, um, that being separate makes it to where we don't know about all these things. And as parents, we don't know about these services and because it's just, everything is so separate. And so I think, you know, that brings up a good point that if it was more generalized and it was just education and special ed students, the students with disabilities were, you know, out among all the other students that it would just be more normalized if you want to say, and it would do such an amazing um, thing for everyone's character. I know Troy was in a preschool and um, it was amazing because it had student kids that were, you know, typical students. And then it had uh, students with special needs and these typical functioning children were amazing. And they were so amazing with the kids with special needs. And I know that that makes them, you know, a better person and how they were 
you know, act in society and how they grow up and just being exposed to that. So now I just went off on your same tangent. <laughs> no, it reminds me. Um, see, this is good. This is good. I'm like, what was my point? But it doesn't matter. You're here now. So um, no, the thing, the most annoying thing about when people find out about my, like I talk about what I do and they're like, oh, that's so nice. Like you're so like, isn't that rewarding? And it's like, I don't think. Hell yeah. What are you doing with your life? (laughs) (laughs) Or it takes such a special person to do that. (laughs) Like we are working with, we are helping college students with disabilities and they immediately, they're like, they go to college. Like it's like, it's, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's like, um, no, it, it's, it's a lack of, of understanding. It's a lack due to a lack of exposure, which really needs to start at a young age. Um, it's ignorance and it's it not, by, it's not by a person's fault. It's like what you said, they're not exposed to that. They don't understand that. Well, um, I'm, I work really hard. I'm going to be working really hard to expose my, my little kids to a lot of different types of people, you know, and one thing we do every two weeks is um, I bring my son to a, a walk, walk, stroll and rock. Oh gosh. I've only been going for like, I don't know, a year now. I can't forget. I can't remember what it's called, but a walk, stroll and roll. Um, and so it's um, driven by the efforts of um, the spinal network of San Diego. Um, and they really want to just have people who, it, uh, you know, have physical challenges, able-bodied, like anybody's welcome. And we just go for a walk and it's this sort of small legion of wheelchair users. And um, last week was really fun because um, it, Julian, my son, he's you know pretty typical, almost five-year-old and he'll ride his bike. And he, one of the, the gentlemen who has a power wheelchair said, hey, um, do you want to ride? Like, is it okay if I give him a ride? And and Julian looked at me, his, his eyes got real big. And I was like, yeah, sure, Jim, if that's okay. So I said, how, you know, he's like, just put him on my lap. So I put Julian on his lap and away they went. And Julian had his first wheelchair ride and he is never going to ride his bike again, I think, because that was so much more fun. But point being like, <laughs> it's normal that we go out and see Rick and Rusty and Jim and that, you know, and Jesus and the guy, you know, um, the guys that they just happened to all be guys, but, um, we're open to women too, you know, but it, I think I'm the only lady there now that I think about it. Um, but anyway, um, oh, it's so fun. And, and I really, I think it's so important in terms of, you know, visibility um, in all aspects, you know, whether it's in education and the media in, you know, um, and um, just knowing, knowing this aspect of um, our population that, you know, we don't, get to see or hear from, you know, they don't really get a voice. And so um, that's why I think, you know, doing podcasts like this or so it's, you know, you're representing a very small piece of the, the disability community, but I think it's wonderful what you do and, you know, just kind of uncovering, you know, different things that can help different people. So I know that should be exactly where we stop, but I have one last question. Awesome. <laughs> um, so I want to go back to the comparison of now to 20 years ago, but do you, are you finding today that people are being more, that's not, that's not a good sentence. Um, is, are you seeing more people with diet, a diagnosis than you did 
like over the years, like it is, um, I wish, I wish that I had better words for the like day. Are, are more people accessing the services? Like, are yeah, I guess more... so. I get, cause so I guess my train of thought is since having Angie, I have met, I mean, I, I automatically, obviously I've met a lot of Mido people, but beyond Mido people or Mido families, I'm meeting more and more people just getting a diagnosis for something like, like in my new job, the first few people that I met, the first few people I spoke to, they, every single one of them has a child with special needs, um, whether it's dyslexia or, um, autism, but every single person, whereas, and I don't know if it's because I had Angie, so I'm maybe my more hypertuned to it, but I could not say that 10 years ago. So do you think that people are, I guess that is a good question, accessing it more? Like, are you seeing more people with a diagnosis than you did? Or like, is the medical field becoming better at diagnosing people? So basically, um, is your population growing? The people. I guess that would have been such an easier <laughs> way to say it. <laughs> I think that definitely a couple of the areas that we're seeing growth is like the autism spectrum. Is I mean, first of all, we had to sort of create a new category in the community colleges because it was it was in the other category right? And they had like this other category, this category under speech and language. Do you know how many speech and language college students we were serving? Like two a year. And so, but then we were like, you know, I wonder, um, let's actually look at how many people, same with ADHD. It was in the other category and we never had data on it. And so they created ADHD and autism. And those are two, I was just looking at some statistics this morning that my supervisor was sharing with this like um, new database that allows us to look at this, this data. And um, those two areas are have really escalated. And I, and I think part of it is the, the awareness, like, and I think that it's, um, uh, there's a bit of a buzz about, um, you know, autism and ADHD. You see a lot of information readily available on these, these two areas um, where that was never, that was never the case before. Um, it's, it was never talked about before. Now it is like, it's almost like um, a little bit like autism is one of the more popular disabilities. Like, I, oh yeah, you know, I, you know, someone knows someone who knows someone, right? Um, and I think that because it's being more talked about, it's being that that people are more comfortable with like seeking a diagnosis, or at least the medical community is more heightened to, oh okay, we we know that um, here are the indicators that we can look look at um, for you know pre screening to you know, once they, once they get older, but I think, um, that, uh, those are two large areas of growth or at least identification that it's not like the people weren't there before, but it's like, now we're, we're tuned into it. Um, I was going to say something else in that regard. It's like, I think of things when you're asking a question, you're talking like, oh yeah, I need to. And then I forget, but I think that probably happens all the time with you too. <laughs> it's usually me. <laughs> and and well, trying to have our paper and pen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, if I think of it, I'll, I'll spit well, it back out. Yeah, no, that's okay. If, Megan, did you have any other questions? Uh, no, not really. I think um, you answered quite a few of mine and I just appreciate what you do. And like you said, um, it would be nice if we put 
your information up on our website or your department's information, just so people that have children that might be transitioning to the community college that they you know have somewhere to look for at least some information and get an idea because like you said, if there's not much awareness about it and people think, oh, disabled people don't necessarily go to community college or where would my child be able to? So that's, that would be nice. And sometimes if you don't, if you don't see it, you don't know it's a possibility, you know, and that's, that's a real travesty. Um, so, I mean, I, I think we all need to aim for higher visibility and vocality and you know, just being out there and, and, you know, talking and sharing. Um, so, yeah. And I'm, I think about, about Troy and I, I think about, you know, what that's going to be like, I mean, just even transitioning to high school and stuff. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I, <laughs> I know I'm like, can we just hold him back in eighth grade? Cause he stay in middle school forever. <laughs> we love our teacher. We love the programs, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> uh. Well, Don't be so smart, Troy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate you taking time and, and joining us on the podcast. Um, and of course, for being my lovely sister. Yes. <laughs> and amazing auntie to Angie. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for, I'm honored to, to be here. I was so surprised. I was like, are you reaching the bottom of the barrel? Like, why are you reaching out to me? <laughs> Are you running out of people? No, we just really felt like this was something that was important that people needed to hear about. Because like I said earlier, I mean, and and like you said, every diagnosis is, every person is totally different with their diagnosis. And everyone that that knows about Mito understands that. I mean, you could have the same genetic code and have completely different symptoms. I mean, we've had a, uh, people on here that are 32 years old with Lee syndrome, whereas Angie was not even two years old. So there's just such a wide spectrum and ages that the people just don't know what's out there. And, and the one thing that I, I'm finding more and more too, is that kids are living longer, which is great. Um, and the adults are now being diagnosed more often. And it's something that was considered maybe a chronic illness or fatigue is finally like science is finally getting to the point of being to diagnose, being able to diagnose mitochondrial dysfunction. And so that, what that looks like is, is what people are going to need going into high school, into college, into finding the workforce, which uh, I didn't ask you questions about that. Maybe, maybe another time. Um, no, I think what a good topic would be is like, if we talked really about employment and I could even have somebody from the department of rehab on, if you wanted to, I don't know if you do more than two guests at a time or one guest at a time, yeah, but I could have somebody come in and, and speak about their services and their process and everything. You could do a whole, you know, um, session on that. Yeah, no, that would be great. I think that's a, a wonderful idea. Cause I think it's, it's a growing need and it's something that parents, need to hear or they need to know that there is a future that your child isn't their diagnosis and and kids beat the odds and so you need to prepare yourself for all levels um so being able to talk to people like you i think is is integral to just the family plan you know like you said having that team those people that are behind you and it all starts with the parent and guiding their child and knowing that these resources are there and maybe even 
maybe just opening their minds to something that needs to start in their community. I mean, I know not every community is going to be like San Diego, but being able to talk to and hear about these things, like knowing, oh, someone has started this or someone is doing this method or, or has this organized, um, we need to start that here uh, for the future of our kids. Um, and that's what it's all, all about is getting those resources, creating them for every community um, and, and just having them readily available for everyone across the board. But, um, but thank you. We will we'll have to arrange another podcast to, to go over that. But um, thank you for being on the podcast today. I love you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you guys are listening, this is the Mido podcast. Uh, if you have any ideas or if you would like to write in, you can contact us at mitopodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and on Instagram and YouTube. And you can listen to us on Apple or Spotify. Um, I think that's it. Did I cover it all, Megan? Yeah, you did. <laughs> I think by now I'd write all this stuff down so I wouldn't miss it. <laughs> nope. <laughs> all right. I hope that you guys all have a wonderful day. Thank you.